You're listening to the Let's Talk Future podcast series presented by Oppenheimer. If you're interested in the economy, markets, and investing in general, you've come to the right place. This series was created to fascinate and enlighten every type of investor. Curious about the latest consumer trends? How about innovations in healthcare or technology? The Let's Talk Future series definitely has you covered. Through timely and relevant conversations, we deliver some of the best thought leadership in the financial services industry. Our renowned hosts and guests explore big questions and big ideas and leave you with actionable insights. In this episode, our guest is Sandy Haber, Managing Director of Oppenheimer's Private Client Division, and our host is Jane Ross, Managing Director of Investment Banking at Oppenheimer. This episode was recorded on March 15, 2023. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to this special edition of Let's Talk Future as we discuss issues of corporate cash management in light of the current tremors in the financial system. We're here with Sandy Haber, a managing director at Oppenheimer who specializes in corporate cash management. With the failures of Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank and the ongoing problems at Credit Suisse, CFOs, corporate treasurers, board members, and investors are scrambling to assess their portfolios for safety, and they're re-examining investment policies and procedures. And so, this conversation with Sandy Haber. He helps manage cash for corporations, endowments, and others, and he also writes investment policy statements for these same entities. So it's a very helpful perspective to tap during these tumultuous times. So thank you, Sandy, for being here during a very busy period. Welcome. Jane, thank you for having me. It's my pleasure to be here. All right. Well, to start off, can you walk us through a timeline of what you've experienced over this last week? Sure. Well, we woke up somewhat surprised, I guess, Thursday morning to find that Silicon Valley Bank shares on the equity side were poised to open down over 100 points, quickly scrambled the team to do some deeper analysis uh, to understand the implications of that. And what we learned very quickly was in, in the preceding 12 and 24 hours, Silicon Valley Bank basically uh, had, had recognized the fact uh, and shared that there were significant losses in a mark-to-market long-dated bond portfolio and would look to turn to the equity markets in an effort to raise significant amount of capital, perhaps in excess of $2 billion. I think that really spooked the marketplace, which led to the opening on the equity side of shares to be down over 100 points. By midday on Thursday, uh, shares of Silicon Valley Bank stock were down about 150, I think at one point down 160 points. And obviously our phone was ringing uh, pretty consistently with concerned clients and prospects and folks that have funds or had funds uh, parked at Silicon Valley Bank. There was uh, a lot of uncertainty about how things would play out over the next several days or several weeks. We were trying to uh, get our arms around the situation the best that we could. And we spent a lot of time educating our clients and clients of SVB some of the differences in, in understanding what they own and going back to exactly what is an unsecured deposit at a bank and what recourse might it have in the event of a bankruptcy. How does that differ from owning government securities? How does that differ from owning a AAA-rated government institutional money market fund? So these were the types of questions that we were fielding all of Thursday and really most of Friday. At that point, there was a mad scramble for folks really to exit SVB as quickly as they possibly could. We were told in advance that we were expecting about a dozen wires to come in from SVB. Uh, my team would capture 
some new clients and some existing client money uh, from SVB on Friday, uh, about a dozen that were attempted to put into the system that just quite frankly never happened. And so we heard, you know, obviously as a result of panic and mass exodus, uh, you know, folks unable to uh, get access to their liquidity, get access to their cash, to get access to their securities in a timely fashion. And by six or seven o'clock Eastern time, it was pretty clear that that money was not going to arrive. And it, it was a pretty uncertain and dark period when we signed off on Friday. Well, yeah, and that's, that's the greatest fear, right? To have your assets frozen and not be able to access them. So that's the way we headed into the weekend. Then what? Well, we continue to have dialogue with uh, companies both Saturday and Sunday, again, providing uh, a, a potential game plan. How can we get your funds in a safer uh, place? How can we extract cash or securities? What are the, you know, what are the means? What are the measures to uh, take place to get your funds, to get your cash to a safer home? And fortunately, late afternoon, early evening, Sunday, I think the Federal Reserve uh, the Treasury and the FDIC did a wonderful thing to come in and to secure those deposits. And so I think that had people uh, breathing a lot easier Sunday night. I want to be clear, there were folks that were very distressed in terms of would they have access to a bank to pay their bills? Monday morning, today, the 15th of uh, March being Wednesday of this week, was a big concern for many of these people, not knowing A, if they had access to a bank which could in fact pay their bills, and B, have money or access to their money in an effort to pay those bills. So those were some of the most frightening conversations. I think we got a little bit of a reprieve Sunday night with the Federal Reserve and that team coming in and making whole depositors so there would be access to capital for folks to pay the necessary required bills this week coming up. What did Monday and Tuesday look like? We get this reassurance from the Fed. What did that look like? So interestingly, the urgency was still there. Just because funds were available and liquid didn't mean that folks were going to just move on and say, okay, we'll sit tight at Silicon Valley Bank. Quite the contrary. We continued to see this accelerated need to send funds to get money out of Silicon Valley Bank. People had concerns near term and long term if that would be a viable home for their corporate cash management, for their day-to-day -day bill pay. And it seemed like everybody was off to the races in an effort to find relationship banks, day-to-day uh, -day banks, banks that facilitate things like payroll, cash managers, investment managers, looking at the portfolios, looking at the holdings, and still making those uh, same efforts to move that money early this week. And, and that obviously still continues and likely will continue for several weeks and several months. Right. And then today we wake up to more headlines from Credit Suisse, which has been an ongoing subject and point of vulnerability for quite some time. Yeah, we, we've had concerns, uh, you know, folks are pointing to, you know, many banks out there where they have their funds. You know, we've been asked, what about uh, First Republic? And what about Signature? And what about Zions? And, you know, so there's been about a dozen or so names that have come up about the credit worthiness, the safety, the integrity of holding their assets at some of these other banks. Which is really an important point. And, you know, Chris Kutowski, our bank analyst, very well-regarded bank analyst, he has noted that both Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank are really outliers. They have a very narrow business focus. And if you looked at 
ratios of those financial institutions. They were both really at the bottom when you wanted to be at the top and at the top when you wanted to be at the bottom. So, and I think you've come across those players before. So these risks were known. Yeah. Over the years, we've shared many cash management assignments, uh, many mandates um, alongside the folks at, uh, at at SVB. You know, the Oppenheimer risk management uh, obviously looks very different than what we saw over at SVB. And they, they took a, a, you know, a series of moves that uh, worked against them, specifically related to the dramatic rise in interest rates over the last 12 months. And again, I commented on a longer dated portfolio, realizing or having roughly $16 billion in unrealized losses in a mark-to-market portfolio. When you're buying longer duration bonds in the 10-year sector, duration risk is is really significant and so th- those markdowns were severe you know that that really seemed to backfire again you know i'd mentioned to clients along the way that the fed raising rates as aggressively as they have in the last 12 or so months uh, would have some unforeseen consequences hard to know what hard to know when and hard to know where but we woke up to that reality last week and saw exactly what the damage was there and uh, to your point sv being being very much an outlier, do not feel that contagion or the integrity of the, the balance sheet and, and the risk management to be anything quite like that at any other firm. Yeah. And I mean, interestingly, you were at Lehman during the financial crisis, so you were a close observer then. This feels different than that, right? I mean, here we're talking about credit quality, not asset. We're talking about rates, not asset quality, right? Yeah. 2007, 2008 was a very different environment. This, we're very early. Uh, we're, we're in the fourth or fifth day of this. We've got 15 years to look back on what went wrong then. But if you look at the culprit back then, it was you know just poor lending practices by a lot of the financial institutions, owning poor credit quality securities, lending practices that really just didn't make a whole lot of sense. And then of course you had, you know, massive asset bubble in real estate. And when all of that came crashing down, the banks were far more exposed than anybody knew them to have been previously. But fortunately, you know, there's been dramatic steps taken in the wake of the financial crisis uh, 15 years ago, largely the introduction of Dodd-Frank imposing tighter lending practices for banks, more stringent capital requirements, greater liquidity, stress testing. It's been a number of things that have come along in the last 15 years to make financial institutions safer. And I think for the most part, we haven't heard of anything in about 15 years until last week. Those, those regulations uh, ha- have, have really worked quite well. Another thing that was adopted post the financial crisis was an adoption of new rules and regulations that govern money market funds and how they're treated. And they were made somewhat bulletproof you know, 10 years ago by insisting that they carry much higher credit quality, much shorter durations higher degrees of liquidity, much uh, greater requirements for daily liquidity, seven-day liquidity, and 30-day liquidity. None of these things existed uh, prior to the collapse of Bear and Lehman back in 07 and 08. So we're in a very different environment today. Money market funds are strong. And for the most part, you know, the big banks, you know, they're well capitalized. They've delevered. They de-risked themselves a long, long time ago. And again, uh, as I mentioned, we haven't seen any fallout, any real significant problems in in about 15 years. So something to be proud of. Absolutely. 
Well, let's talk a little bit about your business and those conversations that you talked about having over the past few days in the issues of cash management. As you're talking to a client and explaining how they should be positioned and, and what they own and the different guardrails, can you talk to us about the tenor of those kinds of conversations? Yeah, absolutely. I, it Obviously, it makes everybody a little bit skittish to watch the news Thursday and Friday and see the unraveling um, of a large uh, institution like SVB. And so that prompted everybody to, you know, reach out. And the conversations are, you know, to stay calm, understand what you own. Let's take a look at the portfolio holdings. I had many, many people send over their portfolios from other banks and we'd walk through it literally line item by line item, go through where we think there may or may not be any risk. I think for clients, it's understand what is the structure and the nature of your account, how much exposed unsecured deposits do you have in the hands of a bank or multiple banks? Do you have another vendor if you need one to make and facilitate day-to-day -day, uh, bank transactions, payroll, ADP, customer receivables, vendor payments? So a lot of people have spent the last three, four days establishing and lining up a second or even a third bank as a backstop to their primary bank, just to make sure there's another party that's uh, capable to facilitate their day-to-day -day banking needs in the event that something happens. And then we just talked about you know portfolio holdings. And I, I've always preached that it's important to be diversified, own a series of different types of securities, own various types of a uh, you know, variety of different sectors own different maturity points in different tenures. Shorter is typically your friend in any environment, particularly when a lot of my customers have immediate or near-term need for liquidity and access to cash. Uh, we're not in the business of parking money out five and 10 and 15 years. That's not really deemed cash management. We wanna make sure that our clients have adequate access in a timely fashion to any and all of the liquidity that they require as needed. And so we talked about positions. We looked at government agencies. We looked at treasuries. We looked at commercial paper. We looked at corporates. We looked at municipal securities. And we just uh, sort of ran through the list. And by the end of these conversations, I think most people felt very comfortable, minus the fact that getting their money out of SVB would be some type of a challenge. Again, those risks were mitigated over the weekend, but I still think people are concerned and are still moving money out of SVB and some of the other financial institutions that you mentioned. Well, it's great that you're involved in a hands-on basis and having those conversations. You know, another aspect about what you do, which I don't think people spend a whole lot of time thinking about, but which come to the fore in days like these, are investment policies and procedures. And you're actually involved in writing these policies for accounts, right? Sure. And we recommend that every customer, every uh, corporate cash client adopts a formal investment policy, one that is known internally and, and uh, is responsible by either the CFO, the treasurer, the controller, that it is clearly written and it precisely addresses the cash needs and requirements of that customer. I think every policy should be customized. They should all look specific unto that client's cash needs. I don't think any two policies should look exactly the same. And so we, we've helped hundreds, if not thousands of companies over the last three decades understand the importance of an investment policy. And I share with them, quite frankly, and whether you work with Oppenheim or somebody else, I want to make sure that you've got proper controls and guardrails around your cash and around your cash management by way of this formal investment policy. The way we write it is very conservative. 
We leave it open-ended for uh, our clients or prospects to tweak it and adjust it and fine tune it and make it as customized and make it uh, to the benefit of their own cash needs and their own requirements as they see fit. I also urge people to look at the policy every year and have a 30 minute conversation with me. Two things, number one, let's make sure that this policy still meets your needs as it relates to your cash. And number two, let's still you know, make certain that it is current in the environment. And if there's any changes in the environment, I will suggest changes to the investment policy, whether it's specific onto that client's needs or not. There's something dramatic out there that I think uh, needs tightening. I'll go ahead and make those recommendations. And normally we see you know, a change or two come about every year on many people's investment policies. So that should be standard practice for every company out there. Yeah, definitely. And so in terms of the system and systemic risks, you know, I remember back during the financial crisis, we were all nervous about money market funds breaking the buck. And you talked about regulatory changes that were put in place that have helped protect us this time around. Are there any other things from your seat that you worry about on a systemic basis as far as, I don't know, fund flows or the ability of Anything else we should be aware of? It's an interesting question. We don't know what we don't know yet, but I think things will evolve and develop here over the next, you know, the course of the next days and weeks. You know, Credit Suisse wasn't big in the news until this transpired over the last couple of days. I'm not sure what or who is the next flavor to, to gain a whole lot of popularity and garnish a whole lot of news. But I think companies are taking a close look at their cash. I think regulators are taking a close look at banks stress test performance. I think a lot of information will evolve. I really don't have a lot of concern that this is widespread. I really don't think that this is anything like 2007 and 2008. Some of the behavior at SBB was exclusive onto themselves. As I mentioned, that long dated, the long duration, too risky uh, as it relates to managing interest rate risks. And, and Signature Bank as well, right? They had a very narrowly focused business with exposure to crypto. Yeah, the other thing that we're learning, obviously, is the nature of the depositor business uh, that was on the books there. And so it was largely, you know, corporate deposits. And, and those folks tend to demand a much higher yield or a much higher rate of return than somebody like you and I that just keeps money uh, in their traditional checking and savings accounts. And so that erodes, you know, spread or profitability for the bank. And if they're, you know, they're forced to pay out higher yields and higher rates of return, that's not a terrific business model for the bank. And again, uh, their, their customers were largely commercial, largely uh, institutional, and therefore they were thrust into paying significantly higher yields than what you would see uh, at a more diversified uh, customer base elsewhere. Yeah. Well, you make the point that, you know, of course, none of us knows what lies ahead, but something that Chris Kotowski has talked about is a reversion of funds to the bigger players, the trusted players, the places where counterparties can feel secure. And I know that you're very much in that part of the market where customers have been talking to you. Accessibility has been great. I keep trying to get you on the phone and I can't because you're, you're on with clients. So it seems to me that in these weeks ahead, you're going to be part of that process as, as money moves around. A lot of people are going to be on the move with regard to their cash and their assets. That's probably a prudent thing. And before they move money, they'll ask a series of questions and they'll want to do significant due diligence around the financial institutions and the banks that they're 
about to uh, sign up with. You don't want to go from one problem bank to another problem bank. And I think a lot of people had fear of that back in 2008 when there was one week in mid-September where it seemed like all of the banks were in pretty much the same uh, financial demise. And so thankfully, through government intervention and a series of other mechanical items there, you know, we came through. But this time around, I think people will be moving money. They'll be asking detailed questions of the financial institutions, capital structure, reserves, and all that kind of stuff. And to your point, yes, com companies, I think, will be moving to some of the larger financial institutions, you know, with larger deposit base, more diverse deposit base, and, and, and the ability to withstand large outflows. Well, listen, thank you so much for walking us through this. We, we sprung this on you with very short notice, and I know that you've been exceedingly busy. So thank you for the accessibility to your, your observations and good luck to you in the weeks ahead. Thanks for having me, Jane. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Future. We know your podcast listening options are endless, so we're glad you're spending time with us. Don't miss out on our next episode and remember to subscribe today. Join our community and expand your thoughts on business, the markets, and the dynamic forces affecting them. It's time to talk future.